Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Joining us today is Chip Scanlon. Yay! A former newspaper reporter and freelance magazine writer and also past faculty member of the Pointer Institute. Chip recently wrote an interesting piece for the Neiman Storyboard about nut graphs, and we asked him to join us in an age-old journalistic discussion. Today's topic nut graph or no nut graph. Um, So not to assume that everyone listening knows what we mean by a nut graph. It's basically the paragraph or section that pulls you up and out of whatever story you're in and gives you the broader context. It's the here's why this matters part of the story. It has, as Chip writes, become ubiquitous. Um, But not always. Once upon a time, you were a young reporter. Well, I I was, I guess I was a young reporter uh, at the Providence Journal. And um, we wrote narratives there, and this was back in seven. I joined that paper in '77, and I was writing narratives in '78. And um, uh, we would meet people, and they'd say, "Oh, you're with the Providence Journal. But you're the guys that don't write night graphs, right?" And we'd say, "Yes," puffing out our chests, <laughs> because um, we were trained by an editor named Joel Rawson, who schooled us in narrative storytelling, pure storytelling. Um, and so we didn't write nut graphs. And for my whole life there, I never wrote a nut graph. It was probably a decade or more before I actually had to write a nut graph. And they were hard. <laughs> so how do you feel about them now? Well, you know, so I wrote this piece for Neiman's Storyboard where Jackie and I, Jackie Benashinsky, the editor, and I were going back and forth about it, and she suggested writing a piece. So I took a contrarian approach, basically. <laughs> They're toxic in narratives. And um, I interviewed John Branch, um, who wrote Snowfall for the New York Times, and he said very interesting. He said he, he, um, it was the longest story he believes ever published in the New York Times without a nut graph. And he said he made a bet with himself. Could he see if he could get past the editors without a nut graph? And he did. And one of the things she said to me was the way he viewed nut graphs were they were they were like um, they were like trucks backing up, going beep, 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 just breaking the flow of a story. And so I took the contrarian approach that in a pure narrative, in pure storytelling, uh, for example, I did a story once about the birth of a baby. 
And I remember thinking, what an autograph would I write? <laughs> Every day, babies are born. <laughs> this is the story of one of them. Yeah. It's very hard, doctors say. So I, I didn't know how to write autographs in mm -hmm. pure story. I have to tell you, I've, after Jackie wrote that very persuasive counter-argument to mine, I came around a little <laughs> towards her. Because I remembered how I had to write nutgrass later on in my career. But in journalism, did you go to journalism school? I did. And they didn't make you do that in journalism school? Did you grow up having to write nutgrass before you got a real job? No. Uh, I got out of journalism school in 74, and that was really just around the time that the Wall Street Journal was beginning to introduce the nutgrass. So yeah. I, I never heard the term. Oh, I, did, I didn't get it pounded into my head either. How about you? Did you? High school. Our high school journalism yeah. teacher, like, we spent weeks writing nut graphs. And, and the nut graphs kind of would become the pitch for the story, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I, I know one of the responses I liked on the storyboard was, like, you should write them. You don't have to publish them. Right. You know, like, it's a good <laughs> practice. To, exactly. It's your budget it line. Yeah, and to make it, make it make your pitch. But, yeah, no, we, in high school, I thought, like, if you don't have a nut graph, you don't have a story, you know, and. I didn't get away from that till years later when I started working for you. Well, I was going to say, so when Lane and I first started working together and we were working on a narrative team, um, you know, we sort of like got away from Nutgraphs um, purposely, uh, I think, with the thought that, you know, in a narrative story, the Nutgraph becomes obvious as you, you know, the point of the story becomes obvious as you go through it. And, and, you know, the revelations come as you, as you go along in the story. So you still get, you still get the why of the why you still get the explanation of why you're reading this and what, it ha what deeper meaning it has, but you doesn't stop you somewhere and pound you over the head, you know? So that's very encouraging. Do you have, a, do you have any openings? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I do think, I, I mean, I, I, I like, I thought Jackie was very persuasive too. I mean, she yeah. said, but so I wrote down some of the, like she said, you know, a lot of the times they fail because um, she thinks for one, they're poorly named. Um, she thinks they're poorly applied and she thinks they're really hard to write and they are like, mm -hmm. and they're hard to make seamless or like your, the baby example. It's like, okay, it's so obvious as it just feels like, what, what are you doing? Right. And then other times it's like, it does feel like John says you're backing up the truck and suddenly you're stopping this story and you know, but, but we, I mean, we sometimes, I think the longer the story, we sometimes incorporate uh, the promise of the piece, you know, uh, try to weave in something that, that will make readers be patient, you know, that, that we're going to give you, we're going to get you there. You know, you're going to feel the takeaway, but you don't necessarily, we're not going to sum it up for you so completely that you're not interested in, in keep, Reading. I mean, I, I think, and I'd love your opinion on this, Chip. Like, I think there's a difference between a nut graph for a news story, which oh, yeah. basically, mm -hmm. like, gives the readers, like, what they need to know. And then if you want more background, here we go. I, I think they're important in news stories, um, if not even necessary. But I think in narratives, a lot of times, it's more like, I think of it as the foreshadowing and the promise of, like, here, if you stick with me, reader, here's what you're going to learn. Here's what gonna, we're going to unfurl, you know, or asking a question or leaving some kind of cliffhanger, you know. It was interesting because what Branch said was, I tend to trust that the reader will follow along without a pause and rhetorical flashing lights. This, dear reader, is why we're telling you this. But I think you're right. They are necessary in trend stories, which is where they, they were spawned at the Wall Street Journal. And the argument was, the argument, because I interviewed an editor won the ASNE award. He said, look, these, these stories are designed for busy commuters pulling into Grand Central, 
deciding, do I really want to read about pig farming in Bolivia? Hmm. <laughs> well, oh, okay. Hmm. They're telling me this is really important and why I should read it. Oh, I'll keep reading. No, I'll go to the stock pages. <laughs> and so it had a very specific purpose and it had very specific elements, but it is hard. When I, when I got to the Niagara Washington Bureau, all of a sudden I was faced with having to write nutgrass. And I would find, my editor would come and say, uh, you've buried it. And the reason I buried it was because who was I to say what the story was about? Hmm. I don't know anything. I've been working on this story for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm supposed to sum up what this story is about, why it means, why you should read it. But you know what I started doing? I literally started copying, typing, word for word, Wall Street Journal nutgrass. I probably did dozens, if not more, of them. And when I finally, eventually, all of a sudden, the light bulb went off, I said, oh, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to plug this in. You have to have this. You have to use this kind of verb. And I got pretty good at it. Um, but I think you're right. The idea of writing a nutgraph can be a useful exercise to essentially, okay, why am I writing this story? You know, um, David Vondrelli has this, these wonderful questions. You know, what happened? Why does it matter? Why am I writing this story? And my favorite, what does it say about life, the world, the times we live in? You answer those questions, just drafting them, free writing them. You have the raw material of a nutcraft. And if your editor wants one, you got one. And then you show it, well, more than tell it. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. I think what you mentioned, too, about transitioning to them is the hardest part. Like finding a way to get out of your narrative and ramp into this overarching viewpoint and then ramp back into your narrative. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think that, to me, that's the hardest part. And that's usually how I decide if I want to leave it in or take it out is if I can't make it transist, if it's too bumpy of a speed bump to get there, I'm like, eh, this isn't working, you know. That's I, I, interesting to hear sort of the evolution of them because I do think they are an invitation to stop reading a lot of the times. And um, you got to wonder about a business that set itself up to get people to stop reading. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, I, exactly. But although in this case, it was designed for people to keep reading, mm -hmm. to tell them, okay, this is why this matters, why you should keep reading this and not go to the stock pages. So it was very effective, and I mean, it spread... I mean, it spread throughout probably the world, but it was it was born at the Wall Street Journal. I did not know that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. that's interesting. And I mean, I remember one saying, "He said, yeah, it has to be three to four paragraphs." Although once I think it, got, it was Barry Newman who was a Pulitzer winner. I think he said once he got to paragraph eight, which was this incredible achievement to get that far. See, I think you know you're talking about transitions and moving in and out. I think a better word might be transition. Mm -hmm. How do you transit? How do you move from a lead? How do you move from something that get, captures your imagination, your interest, but then there does come a point where a reader might well be thinking, okay, this is interesting, but what is it about? And so that's your challenge is how to, how to move smoothly and with grace I think part of the problem is, as Jackie said, they can be really clunky. Mm -hmm. And they take a lot of rewriting and a, a lot of thinking. I always actually think the editors should write the net graphs, Maria. 
Really? I think that if, you're, if your editor because wants if, a nut graph, <laughs> let the editor write the nut graph and summarize it and, and uh, give, Wait, give it Wait, take your to story, you. like have you turn in the story and then say, okay, I think this is what your story is about? I have. Or you talk that through before you write well, it. Well, I maybe, know. I, yeah. I have a compromise. <laughs> yeah. You both write it. Mm-hmm. And then you decide whose is better. Although you probably would merge the two. I think that would probably be that. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I also wonder too, I, the times I think where as you're reading a narrative, you're getting a little bit of it, a little bit of it, a little bit of it as you're, it's sort of building, right? You're, it's, it's more about kind of, it's coming to light a little more, the, the deeper understanding, the deeper meaning, whatever. And, and to me, that's more gratifying as a reader than to suddenly have you tell me why I should care. I mean, I don't know. And I, and I think some of the, um, I think some of the, the voice that we grew up reading um, had sort of a officious, authoritative, kind of like, we're going to tell you what you should, th- what, back to your point, I guess, Chep, of like, like, who are you to tell me what to think? But like, I think I, as a reader, kind of object to that. That's like, I don't really need you to necessarily capture it and sort of smacking me over the head with it, you know? See, I, I, I guess well, I started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was a contrarian, and I still do believe in pure narrative they don't have much of a place. But in so much of news writing, they do. And, and, and what it requires is critical thinking. I mean, it really requires you to think about what you're thinking while you're thinking, to figure out what you're thinking. And I guess I think that... Um, Readers do benefit sometimes from being told um, what's going on here. Because I think there comes a point, I think I've already said this, but where you're reading along and you say, okay, what's this about? (laughs) But see, then I feel like we failed. (laughs) If you're like, if the reader's reading along and they're going, what the hell is this story about? Have we really done a great job if we can't? Well, you may, yeah, you may be right. It might be a. But, but back to your point about the baby story, right? You're, you're writing a yeah, story about yeah. a baby being born. And I could see it in that, as a reader for that story, not necessarily from the writer's standpoint, but as a reader, you're like, okay, why am I reading about this baby being born? You know? You know why? Because it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it began with, um, it began with, uh, she's in the delivering room and the doctor comes in and says, puts the things on and says, okay, it's, Okay, it's fine. And and then she says, wait a minute, he didn't say it's 123 and it's fine. I've lost the baby. The baby's gone. And then it just broke. Hmm. And then the transition was to nine months earlier. Mm. And then I took it totally tr- chrono- chronologically. And, you know, <laughs> I would really like it when people would say, you know, your story was really long, but it didn't really feel long. And I'd say, I wouldn't say it, but well, that was the point. Um, but yeah, I guess um, I guess I count. I count. This is going to sound really um, pompous or conceited, but 
there have been times where I've counted on my storytelling ability to anticipate, you know, because I think, you know, you're talking about feeding, mm-hmm. you know, to anticipate every time a reader, you know, what does a reader need, na- need to know now? What's going what's gonna to pull the reader along? Mm-hmm. And speaking about voice, one of the things about the nut graph is all of a sudden you, you begin sometimes with this really nice opening, and then all of a sudden, <coughs> and now let me tell you what this story is about. You know, you get this deep voice that's it's usually male, and it's, it's, stopping, it's stopping the flow and telling you what the story is about. And I think in narrative, that's, that dooms the story. I do think it's important. I mean, we talk about it all the time. You know, you, you got to know what story you're trying to tell and what it, what it is. You know, what's that baby example? What's what's going to be the universal that's going to draw us all in? I, I totally get that, and I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate too because I, I like a well-done nut graph. I love something that, you know, David Finkel does when he was writing, he did brilliant nut graphs. I mean, he, you'd be, he'd be writing about refugees and he'd be on the Turkish border or something. And at some point then he'd just seamlessly go 3000 feet up and tell you that on any given moment, you know, some, some share of the planet was on the move, you know, and it was suddenly like, whoa. And then you're right back into the action, you know, it was, it was seamless and it felt like important context you needed to know, you know, like, um, Hank Stuver does a really good job of those two, sort of like what's the culture and, you know, the, the moment of time that we're experiencing here. It almost feels like a drone shot. You know, if you're yeah. thinking of about, about a, a movie or a video, it's like the time where you rise up above everything else and sort of look, to, look back, you know. It's interesting how you both used altitude then. Yeah. You know, this rising above and, you know, kind of going 30,000 feet and saying, okay, what does this mean? I think that's the central question of a nut graph. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Why does it matter? And if you can answer those two questions, and you touch, and you touch, um, you know, eternal truths with those. That's why I love that question. What does it say about life, about the world, about the times we live in? Man, if you can answer that question, you have not just, you have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And if you can pre- you can deliver wisdom in a story, you know, th- I mean, that's what David and Hank are doing. They're giving you wisdom along with news. Of course, <laughs> David is a MacArthur Fellow, and <laughs> Hank, <laughs> Hank is Hank. And, but it, it demonstrates, I think, the the high bar of mm-hmm. a great nut graph. I think it's important too where you put it in your story. You know, I think if they come up too early, you're kind of like, okay, I'm I'm still getting into this. You know, as a reader, like don't hit me over the head. But but the ones I hate are the ones that come near the end. And I found a lot of young reporters do that. Like they get near the end of the story and they think, okay, now I better tell people what this means or why it's important. And I, that's a, a bad pet peeve of mine. Cause as opposed I, to sort of a natural narrative where you you are getting some revelation, but it's not. Right, you're coming to the conclusions yourself. I mean, that's yeah. what I think the be- the best writing does. It doesn't tell the readers what to think or feel. It shows right. them a path that they can figure out what they think or they feel on their own. And so at the end, when you're hitting them over the head, like, here's what I wanted you to take away from this, it feels really forced. And uh, I know it's a natural inclination for especially young writers because they're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you go along through a certain amount of your story, like, oh, shoot, I better tell people what I figured out, you know? Well, you know, I remember this editor when I worked at Knight Ritter. He would come back to my desk, and he would look, and he said, okay, there's your nut graph. And he would do this really cool thing. He would just take this clump and move it up, type away, throw in a couple of M dashes. I think M dashes <laughs> are critical for nut graphs, right? <laughs> and it was brilliant. 
And after about four times, I realized, okay, I have to start doing this myself or I'm going to get fired because he's not going to keep coming back. But for me, it was a confidence Mm -hmm. issue. And I wonder if that's what part of it is for young writers. They are afraid to say what it's about until deeper in the story. Exactly. And if you could just tell them, okay, you're saying it, just move it up. I I think, and you're, because I had the same experience you did as a young writer, not feeling like I was really, like, yeah, I haven't spent that much time with yeah. this story. And who, who am I? <laughs> what am I got no authority here. <laughs> and it is, and it's that, right? It's the authority you're taking with the story and whether it's whether you really feel like you can, am I the one to tell you what to think and feel and how this how this fits into the greater life picture? But, um, yeah, I don't know. We don't talk a lot about nutcrafts in the newsroom, though. We don't really have conversations around them, although I think that people, Obviously, they work their way into into stories, and people are trying to give people that context, readers that context. I think it's one of those things that's kind of like it's like abstract art. You know, if it's really, really good, it's brilliant. But a lot of times, it's just so clunky, right. it sucks. You know, so it's it's not. I don't know if the question is whether to use one or not. It's like if you're going to do it, make it really good. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what was interesting about the third piece Jackie did, where she asked twenty people to talk about their views. Mm-hmm is that although you may not be talking about it here, clearly people are either, they're, they're thinking about it. They're thinking about it when they're writing. Uh, they're thinking about it when they're editing. Um, and I, I would say, I may be wrong, but I'd say that Nutgrass have won the battle. Well, and I mean, I, I, you know, I think they serve a purpose. And I think if they're really well done, they do help. They do help you out. And they don't feel like, a, you know, like you've stopped the story for a minute. Didn't Jackie, Jackie was saying that she thought John had put a nut graph in I know she did. Did you? Did you feel like that was a nut graph? Where he gave a little bit of context? I thought Jackie made a powerful case. (laughs) (laughs) Jackie, uh, my editor, who I adore and want to keep writing for. No, she's, you know, she's she's not just an editor. She's a master teacher. Mm -hmm. That's what that was. That was a master class in the nut graph. (sighs) I would just maintain it's a transition, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. She makes a great case for it. There was, um, yeah, we were, so, yeah, she did um, three, three, did she do three pieces on the Nutcraft? One was yours yeah, on the storyboard, and then another one was people kind of offering up their own definitions right. of a Nutcraft, and then her in defense of the Nutcraft. So right. there's a whole Nutcraft series, if right. you'd like to nut, She, she, she it called down. it a Nutcracker Suite. <laughs> Number one was mine. Number yeah. two was Jackie demolishing mine. <laughs> but very nicely and uh, with great diplomacy and kindness. And then the other was bringing in 20 other people. And I would say, by and large, most of them were pro-Nutcraft. Yeah. Should get people to like write in their favorite nut graphs. Like, I'd love to see a series of really good, powerful nut graphs, yeah, one after idea. the other. You know what I mean? If you guys are having any out there, listeners, send it to us here. Yeah. I think I've never seen that like a collection of like, what's the good, what makes a good nut graph? What is a good nut graph? That could well, be our know. follow-up uh, podcast. Yes, her favorite. Know. Chip could tell us his favorite nut graphs. Yeah, I'd love well, to I see the ones you compiled from the Wall Street Journal. Do you still have those? They're in my textbook. Huh? Oh, there you go. Some of them are. Buy Chip's textbook. Yeah, good luck finding it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I've been doing these annotations for um, Neiman's Storyboard, where we take a a story and intersperse questions. And I'm doing two right now, and it's interesting. One is about a serial killer, and one is about a rape. And both use nutgrass. And the nutgrass basically 
they serve this purpose. They basically tell you they have an, a, you know, a powerful lead, and then they stop and say, okay, here's what we did. You know, the Oregonian, Oregon, Oregon Live did this, did this. We, we got this stuff. We went to court, and we found this. Um, the other one is a story. There was a feature, a uh, publisher feature finalist called What Do We Owe Her Now by Elizabeth Brunig of the, of the Washington Post. And she does she does the same thing. You know, I just, I just brought it along. I just read a bit of it. On and off over the next three years, I reviewed police documents, interviewed witnesses and experts, and made several pilgrimages home to Texas to try to understand what exactly happened to Wyatt, who was the rape victim, not just on that night, but in the days and months and years that followed. And she goes on and brings in the Me Too. So I think, you know, it is that, that, it is that effort to bring, maybe it's relevance. Context. Yeah, yeah context. You know, a story, you know, many stories are, are um, well, eternal is probably the wrong word, but they're, they're, um, they need something to separate themselves. This is totally inarticulate. Um, they need they need a paragraph that stops and says, "Okay, this is interesting, but I need to stop for a second and let you know either what I did to get this." Although a lot of times I think those are jammed in for ju- for contests. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to say up high. You know, as opposed to narratives where very often what you'll do instead is you'll have a note, an editor's note. You know. I mean, Dan Barry in his story, The Case of Jane Doe Ponytail, I mean, he had a nut graph, although I think he kind of questioned it. But at the end, he had this voluminous. Right, how he got the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how many people he talked to. Mm-hmm. And so do you need to say, here's how I know this? That's uh, interesting because that's the difference between not why are we telling the story, but how do we get the story, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's a really good point. Okay, so our follow-up podcast will be favorite nut graphs. So we need your favorite nut graphs, people, and we'll uh, we'll do another uh, we'll do another podcast. Um, okay, if you have a question for Lane or for Chip, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's w r i t e l a n e at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.